Hey gang! Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pesek, Toj, Jade Core, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Bradford N. Smith, Page on Gaming, and Alicia Harper for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those to Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Billy. And I'm your host, Amelia. And we're watching Kitchen Frightmare. I like cheese. I'm on record for saying that in the past. I enjoy a bit of cheese with a meal. I love cheese. Cheese is the only thing I wake up for in the morning anymore. Just wake up and you get yourself that nice piece of, you you got two pieces of toast, you get a little jam on one side, a little nacho cheese on the other. In polite society, we call that cheese whiz, Billy. Don't be a barbarian no, with nacho I, cheese on your toast. That's what I, well, it was, I was doing. A bizarre choice. That's what I was doing. But even in that meal, I will say, that is a more balanced meal than the plates of cheese that this restaurant seems to be serving. Yeah, this is a bad restaurant that I would not go to for my cheese. I would go to it for my cheese. But the problem is, that's all I can go to it for. This is This isn't... A restaurant. It's it's like a... It's like an art piece. It's a non-vegan, but vegetarian, delicatessen. Were we in Europe, a cheese shop might be viable. But not a sit-down cheese shop. That's too much. This is a restaurant that uh, just makes cheese in the shape of world monuments. And I would not eat that cheese. It's been handled too much. It's like watching someone make a chocolate statue, and it's like, ew, you've done so much weird shit to that chocolate, you've, like, carved it down with your hands, there's fingerprints in it. Like, I'm not gonna eat that chocolate now. Same goes for this guy's cheese. One star review. Just like everyone else gives him. Because they're like, this is a terrible idea. It does receive a lot of one- but, like, it's even the, the good reviews he gets- like, is he, is he making the cheese here? Because it feels like he's just using the cheese. Yeah, he does not have cheese-making facilities. Yeah, there's he's so also... many other ingredients here. Like, I, like, he's cracking a whole bowl of eggs here. I don't see anything but cheese. There's, there was, like, lemons that I saw spill over. Potatoes. I see nothing but overly handled cheese. There are red onions in the back there. You're just... Just letting those sit while everyone eats cheese. And th- I guess that's our first glance here. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> Is that we like cheese, but not this cheese. No, not the cheese at Cheese Volcano. It's also which a is... bad name for a restaurant. It is a great name for a dish, but 
cheese volcano. I, I don't get the volcano part of it. Premise? Sure. Shaggy and Scooby-Doo help out their favorite chef, whose new restaurant is troubled by the odd appearance of the Yeti. So, so a Yeti's also here. And that might sound odd, listeners, but that is part of the point. The Velma Vision. Ooh, we're starting right there. Yeah, let's get this over with. She is meandering. Velma really has trouble this episode because she can't think of a connection between a Yeti and a cheese restaurant. Yeah, so there you go. If you ever want to best Velma Dinkley, just do something that doesn't connect point A to point B in a straight fucking line. But that's because it, she's got Aspergers and she cannot think in any direction but a straight line. It is so absolutely bizarre that this would be the line that she draws, because, like, of the years of Scooby-Doo, we've had a, a few monsters that I would say don't line up completely. Like, what does old Iron Face have to do with anything? I believe the hideout was a prison. Well, that makes sense, then. But there are probably other examples. So Velma is freaking out because she can't put together a link between the Yeti and the restaurant. I think the closest she comes organically is when she's in the freezer and finds a box of Himalayan salt. Why is she not completely put off by the fact that there's ghosts in this world at all? You know, why is she not confused that anyone dresses up like a ghost? Well, do you think that she maybe knows this is fake, but is just like, I just don't get the feeling of this guy. Well. If they know it's fake... Why are they always running a from these A man things? in a costume can still bash your head into a brick wall. And that would be something I don't want to have happen to me. Live your life, Billy. Get your head bashed into brick walls. Live your life a little more adventurously than you do. Velma actually has a running gag in this episode where every time she reaches her breaking point of being confused, she gets so angry that she throws a garbage can. This started in the alley, and later on in the freezer, she throws a garbage can. <laughs> Just, it's just what she does. It's the form her grief is taking. So she throws a fucking hissy fit every time something doesn't make logical sense. She has destroyed the world's most beautiful collection of crystals. She's a bitch to her friends when it comes to academia and trying to get into it. Why am I supposed to like these characters? Because she is good at online research. So is anyone with the internet. Is that, well, uh, Velma's very good at it. She was actually able to look up the past incarnations of this restaurant. So she had like go through periodicals online. Or you just log on to Google Maps and use their, <laughs> their back function, function of all the times before then they've taken pictures of that location. Just put, pop in the address and maybe a few years. Moving on. The Daphne Dilemma. She's got Seinfeld level of stand-up in this episode. Yep. She's, oh, goody. She's trying up stand-up comedy. Now, I'm pretty sure that, that Gray has actually done some stand-up and that this was a case of them wanting to bring it into the show. Okay, but, if but this was did the Gray case, have better fucking jokes than oh, what I, Daphne I, I had? I hope so. The jokes that are in this episode are of a level that you would expect in... A cartoon. This freezer's so big, when do we stop calling it a walk-in freezer and just a cold room? Not, not very good. 
Oh my god, I would heckle her to death. <laughs> I would heckle a comedian to literal heart failure if they were trying these jokes on stage in a comedy club that I had paid to enter. Now, I'm, I'm going to have a positive note and a negative note here. My positive note is I did enjoy the gag of how she was doing these relatable jokes, but they were about her life. So it all revolved around like, you know when you're being chased by a ghost? And, like, it's okay, that's funny, because her life is different than everybody's. My negative note is when her jokes go into anti-Fred territory. Fred has sort of an arc in this episode. Oh, no, it's not, it's not Fred's arc. It is Daphne's arc of tuning the jokes more towards Fred's humor. So it's actually getting laughs out of Fred. But then as soon as Fred is actually laughing at her comedy, she heckles him. She heckles someone for enjoying her comedy. She becomes an insult comic, which is kind of the lowest version of comic. I would, I would put insult below prop, because prop, you're, you're putting the work in. You're going home and you're getting the hot glue gun out for this. Insult comic, you're, you're just being an onstage bully. Taking that into the Fred factor, how she's... Fine tune, quote unquote, fine tuning her comedy to Fred's liking. I think he's not laughing at Daphne's terrible jokes because he's finding enjoyment out of it. I think he's trying to skew her metrics so that she totally fucking bombs on stage. He's just like, this'll screw with her head. Oh, no, I think those are honest laughs nope. coming out of Fred. Nope, he's skewing her metric I because he's sick of her shit. No, I think Fred just has a very light, tame sense of humor, and so these jokes are actually hitting home for him pretty well. Before we leave Daphne entirely, I do want to give a shout-out to her Little Mermaid moment. Uh, there is a scene when they're all running away from the ghost in the montage, and Daphne and Velma fall into a big pile of fish. Uh, Velma pops up and the fish is on her head, but it's still wearing her glasses, and it's very funny. Daphne pops up! And, and she's just now got on a purple crop top and a fish from the waist down. And she's part of your world. Great. Good. Thing Little happens. Mermaid is the worst of the Renaissance. She literally crawls up onto land and gives up her voice for some dick. Yeah, that's a good lesson for the children. It's no great mouse detective. That wasn't part of the Renaissance, Billy. <laughs> it's arguably there. Not part of the Renaissance. I, yeah, I think, I think you are right. I think... I think if you're going to make a technical argument, it's like Rescuers Down Under maybe qualifies, but we all know. We all know what's in and out. I wouldn't even qualify the Hunchback of Notre Dame as being part of the Renaissance. Not Pocahontas either. Oh, Pocahontas totally is. Absolutely not! That's when Disney got their own heads so far up their ass trying to be woke and... It was developed at the same time as Lion King, though. Yeah, and so a lot of people left Lion King to go work on Pocahontas because right. they thought they were going to win a fucking Oscar from it. Joke's on you, Pocahontas is boring as shit. So so for you, is the Renaissance just Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King? Yeah. Because that, that actually feels incredibly correct. Can, can we springboard back up for Mulan, Emperor's New Groove, and Tarzan? No, because those aren't prestige pictures. You can like them, but they're not prestige. Okay. Emperor's New Groove was not getting nominated it was for not. Best Picture, but Beauty and the Beast was. True. People were so scared of Beauty and the Beast winning Best Picture that they then created Best Animated. 
Just so that Emperor's anim- New Groove didn't scare them off like that. Just so animation could be, you know, not taken seriously again. They brought it up to a place where you could take it seriously, and then everyone in the Academy got so fucking pissed scared that an animated feature could win best. Yeah, they're jerks. Beauty and the Beast should... What won that year? Beauty and the Beast should have oh, won. Oh, who knows? Some garbage. Fred has a kitchen in the Mystery Machine in case of emergencies. He has done a lot of modifications to the Mystery Machine. This one seems, like, reasonable. They are on the road a lot. Like, in, in this case, I don't even think it needs to be for emergencies. Sometimes it's just like, hey, who wants breakfast? I can, I can get the griddle out here in I, five minutes flat. I, takes five minutes for you to get a griddle out of a compartment where yeah, well, you, you sort it? You gotta get a, some of the back seats out first. I didn't see this part in the episode. Admittedly, my eyes were not on the screen as most of it was happening. I was just listening. Mm-hmm. Kind of. And, uh, so is it a kitchen or is it a fucking hot plate that he's plugged into the dashboard well, cigarette lighter? When we actually see, uh, the chef, Chaz, using the kitchen in the mystery machine that Fred has volunteered, it pretty much looks like a food truck. So I will say this is probably like a full-blown kitchen that Fred's put in. And especially if I'm going to compare it to a lot of the other gadgetry he's put in the mystery machine, I will give him credit for this kitchen set. I'm going to say it probably does involve like a little mini fridge, a, a stovetop, oven? Oven would be impressive. Sink? Spatula? <laughs> Just naming things that are in a kitchen now. Uh, shoots some toast at the monster. Like that's supposed to do a single solitary thing. If it was a butter monster, that you shoot toast at. That, the toast could stick to it, it would now be a sandwich. now it has a toast armor. You've made it stronger. (laughs) No, but you see what I've done. I have, if Fred's on one side, Daphne's on the other, they both shoot two pieces of toast at it from either side. Shaggy's looking at it. Now that's a sandwich. And Shaggy's able to eat it. Shaggy's only eat sandwiches. Uh, My last note for Fred is that he has a great look in his eyes when he actually catches the Yeti in the net. It's just this this real look of, like, I'm catching you in a net. I, I know that doesn't sound like anything. It surely but, is not. But it, it worked for me. The Shaggy Scooby shenanigans. They have to be waiters to help out their friend. And they have trouble with this because they're hungry. So you get elongated sequences of their stomachs growling. And them wanting to eat the food, but, oh, it's a moral dilemma that can't eat the food. Yeah, uh, and I'm going to oh, say... it's, oh, so funny. Right here, Fashion Report, dressed as waiters, they're, uh, both Shaggy and Scooby are wearing a black shirt and a black tie. They look very professional. And this sort of carries on a few points here, and later on they're dressed as valets... Smart valet outfits with red ties and tan vests. This Shaggy is kind of hip. He's like, he he fits Billy, in the modern day. Billy, this is what waiters wear. I know it's what waiters wear, but just <laughs> getting Shaggy out of that green shirt, really, that's all that's holding him back nowadays. Sure, yeah. He looks like a respectable young man. Yep, the fact that he doesn't chew with his mouth shut and he spews 
hundreds of pounds of cheese out of his gross gaping maw later on. I mean, he's oh, once, so hip. once you get to know him, you definitely start to make those judgments. But it's not as immediate as it ever used to be. Now, just quickly outside of the Shaggy Scooby shenanigans, a general feeling here. When this chef wheels out the cheese fondue, I guess is the one thing this restaurant <laughs> does. Watch this one guy's face. I'm pretty sure he has an orgasm. The whole and restaurant now, orgasms. That's not up for debate. Now his pants are just full of cum. There, Wonderful. There is what a, a great restaurant. Mass orgasm in this restaurant. Disgusting. It's and I'm then the chef, the, health the chef does a dirty little dance afterwards. Wasn't quite done my thought in terms of the dress code oh, in this of episode. How fucking hip it's, Shaggy is. Well, I'm just gonna say this this guy could get it. He but, could not get it. <laughs> but it, again, this isn't my main point that I'm trying to go to. It is slightly disturbing how much of this episode takes place with Scooby Doo on two feet. Because he's acting as a waiter, too, and Shaggy and Scooby are kind of just standing next to each other, nearly equal heights. And Scooby-Doo does not feel like a dog at all in this episode. He he is just a a dog-like man, and that's how he's treated. I think the series where you're going to see Scooby-Doo acting the most like a dog is Where Are You? Yep. And the first half of Mystery Incorporated before he meets Nova. I feel like he's very dog-like. Mm-hmm. We need to emphasize this more. Le- we need dog people writing Scooby-Doo. It seems obvious, right? But it's what we need. They find an olive that someone left behind on their plate at mm-hmm. one point, and they're going to cut it in half and split it because they're so hungry. But the olive shoots off the plate and into dirty dishwater. Since when have they been this fussy as to not eat an olive oh, out yeah. of dirty dishwater? I have watched Shaggy drag his tongue across a diner's tiled floor to lick up a mashed up burger that someone had stepped in. Yes. He's not going to eat a wet olive? Well, and especially with how cheese-based all of this food is, you'd think they're just scraping all the dishes into a pot that then they can stir and then the massive cheese will melt down into a... A bunch, like a protein slurry that's mostly cheese-based. Remember in Mystery Incorporated when they ate road cheese? Yes, I do! Cheese scraped off the road and put into a barrel and no one knows what the fuck it is, but they were eating it? No. But dirty dishwater's gonna stop them from eating an olive. I at least respect the fact they are attempting not to eat off the plates in front of the customers. They're making a concerned effort because this chef, the, the restaurateur Chaz, is their food mentor. Uh, they visited his own food truck many a time, and they are trying to help him. So they're trying to be good waiters, but it's just fucking destroying them behind the scenes. Good. <laughs> Learn some fucking humility from this. Uh, they also started multiple fires. Yeah, they trash his ch- kitchen. Just... Well- they, they're running across the countertops, and I think they purposefully kick the olive oil on yes, top of the lit flames. they do. They're, they're hoping that will uh, deter the Yeti for a small moment. And, and earlier, though, they're delivering food to a man at his table. The candle falls, and the entire top of the table lights on fire. What? Why is this table so flammable? Because this is a bad restaurant. Moving on to minor mentions. Chaz Larkin, the owner of this restaurant, owned a food truck before. Yep. 
I don't think he's ready for a high-class restaurant. Do you see how nice that kitchen is and he's just gonna be back there fingering cheese? Yeah, no, buddy. He does seem to be able to command the respect of the of the other waiters and sous chefs that are back there. Uh, he does this by carving a disappointed cheese man, who he turns to look at them disappointedly. Which, admittedly, for the first person who's disappointed him, this makes sense. But if I'm the second person and he's not carving a new man, he's just turning that cheese man towards me. How much effort is going into that disappointment? Do I expect someone to carve an, a new cheese man? No, but I will say, I I would feel the disappointment more if that was a new cheese man carved out of the the sheer physical embodiment of the disappointment of that one action. Yeah. Why is he just serving cheese in the shape of world wonders? Just I, obelisks and Roman coliseums and statues of liberty. Some of it's fairly impressive. No, Not the one of the Washington Monument. Oh my God. That one sucks. How is it impressive? It's just cheese. The same way he's, that any sculpture is impressive. He's cut up cubes of cheese and stacked them to look like the Colosseum. How is that a meal? It's it's people not no gonna, it's not a meal. People are going to eat their cheese coliseum and they're going to go home and be constipated for like 4 days because they've eaten so much fucking cheese, just cubed cheddar cheese. It's a visual wonder. It would be it would do wildly good on Instagram. I don't want visual wonders at a restaurant. I want food I, that tastes I, good. I agree with you. I just it so, is his carving is impressive. It's just not what to base a restaurant on. I mean, there's parts where you see him with, like, a cheese sauce and cheesecake. Oh my god, that made me mad. There's lots of cheese-based dishes you could make, but instead you are just sending out the George Washington Monument of cheese. Yeah, I mean, we see some. We, we see a cheesecake that he fucking ruins by pouring nacho cheese on it. Uh, we, we see, like, some grilled cheese sandwiches. These are ideas. But the majority of what we see is carved sculptures. S save that for that's not that's not just an orderable dish. You got to be back there making like five statues of liberty <laughs> because it's the lunch rush? No. Who's going to have that for lunch? They're going to get it as takeout and they're going to go back to the office and everyone's sitting around eating their chow mein or their sandwiches and you're just going to open your takeout box and take out a statue, statue of, of liberty a statue of liberty made out of cheese oh uh, and you set it up there and then everyone in the lunchroom is like ugh because they have to stand and they have to sing the national anthem and then they can eat also i i find it admirable that they made this man a black man mm -hmm. but if anyone was going to open a restaurant based solely around cheese this this is White territory <laughs> beyond belief. Fun fact, lactose intolerant is so low in white people because we evolved to take milk from other species to get missing vitamin D that we're not getting from, like, absorbing it through our white skin. Wait, wait, wait. So the darker... White people evolved to take things from those who aren't us? I don't understand. I know, it's crazy. But, like... We're, we're genetically designed to appropriate. <laughs> At least cow's milk, yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's terrible. The way you've worded it is. 
It's just a genetic mutation. Yeah. People in Sweden weren't getting enough vitamin D because the sun sets after two hours of it having been risen. That's so fair. So you have to get your vitamin D from somewhere else. But if you go to like mm-hmm. sub-Saharan Africa, like right around the equator is where you're going to get 90% of the population having lactose intolerance. And that's a shame because that's where nachos would hit the spot the best. Sub-Saharan Africa? Yes. I'm not going to ask you for your reasoning because I want to move this fucking show on the road. Um, I, I have two other chefs I wrote down. The uh, red-headed late chef. No, that was a waiter. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm sure it was a waiter. That makes sense. I don't think there's any other chefs here. I think they're all waiters. I've, I mean, it's hard to tell because most of them are all scared off. There's a brunette employee. Uh, he was the one who is a bad sculptor. Yeah, because this chef is so full of himself, he's not going to train a sous chef. Yeah, that and that, you have that to train does a suck. Sous chef. You suck for that, buddy. Um, and he he becomes embittered by that to the point where he says, "I'll show you. I'll show all of you." Yes, it's not him. It can't he's be him. The there's Eddie. no way it could have been him. And then there's Mr. Howard. This guy lives above the restaurant, and he is got his finger hovering above that one star review like you wouldn't believe. He's the one that's set on fire at one point, yes. so he he is entitled to his one star. That's a good reason to give a restaurant a one star review, is if you are lit on fire while you are in attendance. And they don't even give you a free appetizer. Yeah, like they, nothing. I don't even know if they apologize, to be quite honest. A little uh, trivia note. The app that he's leaving his review on is called Squeal on My Meal. Which, I think that's a better name than Yelp. Yelp doesn't even have any food-based jokes in it. Just about yelling things. So he lives upstairs. He seems to hate the restaurant. And yet, he does eat there. Because, goddammit, if there is a restaurant where you don't have to leave the building... You are probably going to eat there. That's just convenient. This is the, like, opening day of this restaurant. Even though the story seems to take place over the course of a few days, this is, like, the grand opening. Is so, it, maybe it's like how Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark had, like, 62 grand openings? Every time something bad happens, like, alright, that doesn't count. Please come to our grand opening. No, I think this might just be a regular grand opening. Mm. Not a poorly conceived trapeze-based Broadway musical written by Bono and performed by Madman. But if the villain of this episode had been a uh, tap-dancing spider woman who sang a song about her shoes, it would have been Where are you so going weird. With this? Oh, that just that's just what happens in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I don't have any other commentary, but isn't that fucking weird? Doc Ock is a thing. Just use Doc Ock. But Doc Ock doesn't have ovaries and therefore isn't obsessed with shoes. As if I've never seen a man cry when a speck of dirt gets on his white sneakers. I would fucking love a song about Doc Ock. If he has gloves on all of his arms, little like white gloves over his claws, and he sang songs about his beautiful gloves, I'd be like, this musical's so fucking weird, I love it. Anyway, there's a Yeti in this episode. Yeah. The Yeti, I will say, very intimidating upon first introductions. He starts by turning the whole room cold, the lights go out, and then, 
like shown in shadow for the most part. You just see his glowing eyes and a bit of his silhouette. The Yeti emerges. And I... Urban legend Yeti? Fuck yeah. Here for it. But later on, most of the episode, it's, it's a big goofy Yeti chasing them around. John Ratzenberger. Monsters, Inc. Your commentary on some things. Like when you were just like, Prince! Prince. <laughs> like, there's yeah. a pause, and there's something that doesn't need to be added. I'm just, I'm adding a gif. I'm adding a verbal gif. Mm-hmm. Illustrating my point. The Yeti is Mr. Howard. Yeah. His master criminal plan is to bankrupt any restaurant that occupies this space below his apartment because he doesn't want to live above a restaurant. Presumably, he won't leave because he's got good rent control. And I feel you, my man. We've lived in this shithole for ten years because it's got rent control. But I would argue if a restaurant moved in on the first floor, I would be nothing but elated. Why? Because then I could get food in slippers. You could do that now. I could, and I still won't, and I wouldn't, because I'm an upstanding young man. See, I'm, I'm with this guy. Restaurants are loud. They keep very late hours. They're going to attract oh, the, vermin. The late hours, yeah. It does not matter how clean your restaurant is. You're going to get roaches. You're going to get rats. See, I think I just approach everything with a child's mind. Yeah. Where I'm like, there would be food there. That's but why... Everything is terrible when I'm with you because you're off lawdy dying it in children's land, and I'm thinking of the consequences. Yeah, because those are all very valid consequences. Like, they should have mentioned those in episodes. It, if he started going off about the vermin or the late hours, then he's a lot more sympathetic. Well, he went off about them being too loud. I, I just took that as a, yeah. All right, maybe I'm on Mr. Howard's side now. Hmm, I'm growing as a person. Growing more bitter, but... Uh, feasibility for this monster. Uh, we get a fully illustrated plan of how he does this. He gains access to the freezers uh, through the floorboards of his apartment, which is dedication, and that knocks out the power and redirects the cooling system to other parts of the building. Uh, and then he's able to swoop in there as the Yeti and just terrify the place. And we finally get an explanation as to why he is a Yeti. And that's that the first restaurant that moved in there served Tibetan food. And he had just invested so much in this costume already. He wanted to reuse it. There are some places in the world where if you asked me to name something that they cook there, like a specialty dish, mm -hmm. I just could not. Okay, so like if you could close your eyes... And you just try and think of Tibetan food. What is it to you? Because to me right now, it's like a plate of hot noodles, maybe in like a bit of a soup with a nice slice of meat. I think it's pho. I'm thinking of pho. Well, now, Tibet sits pretty far north, right? Where's Tibet? It's, it's bordering China because China is always harassing it. It's and very, the whole, the, it's very there, cold there. There was the free Tibet thing where they wanted it free for a while. It's full of mountains and snow. Mm -hmm. They're they're vertical. They're I very would, vertical places. I would say rice before noodles. 
Because yeah. don't they border India? And I don't think I could name an Indian noodle dish. They're not they're not a noodle area. So a good like rice meal. With a hunk of Yeti meat right in there. <laughs> yeah, that's Tibet's national dish. <laughs> and you could totally if you had a Tibetan restaurant in downtown wherever the fuck they are, you you could sell your Yeti meat. And everyone would be like, oh, it's just probably goat or something. You could sell yak, I think, before Yak, Yeti. there we go. Yak is probably much more accurate because they're real, of course. Uh- <laughs> this is scary. I gave him a two because he looks dumb. Do you think that's what... Because, like, the legend of the Yeti, as Velma says it here was founded when, like, the British first went to Tibet and Nepal. Do you think they just saw some yaks for the first time from afar and thought, that is a gorilla man? Well, it raises the question, did people that think Bigfoot is real just see a buffalo? Probably. Buffaloes? I think we've cracked this! (laughs) They're just big cows! Sea cows or mermaids? Every cryptid oh is my just, God. A, just some sort of cow-type creature. Okay, fuck whatever hashtag I was saying earlier in the episode. Hashtag cows are cryptids. Get that trending. Hair scale, Billy. Um, Did you hear mine? It's a two, because he's dumb. Well, at first, I was going to say that the tear scale is higher in this episode because it was appearing in shadow and then the gang had to run away. But it didn't really continue. Like, it started strong with the lights going out. And then we just had a fun Yeti going forward. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go straight middle of the road here. I'm going to give it a five. It's lower down on the list than the ghost of the Yeti. That's for damn sure. So I'm, I'm saying five right now. Now, the thing about Mystery Inc. Do they forget every time that it's a person in a costume? Because they're always running terrified from these things. But if they just stopped and, like, stood their ground against this yeti, the, Mr. Howard might be trying to bankrupt restaurants, mm-hmm. but he's not going to mass murder a group of teens. Just stand well, your ground. But you know what? It's this behavior that got them to survive things like the cat creatures at Zombie Island and many of the events of Mystery Incorporated. Every, like... If it's only 2% of the time that they're out to actually kill you, that 2% of the time you will die if you don't run away. They didn't run from the cat creatures. They did stand up to the cat creatures because Lena was leading them down that uh, tunnel and then Velma was just like decided to be a a fucking smarty pants and start accusing her of shit. And Lena was just like, yep, and then turned into a cat monster. They didn't run from the cat monsters at any point. They couldn't. Would you accept a series of Scooby-Doo where they just straight up decided to fight. Like, we're not running anymore. <laughs> Each time that we encounter it, it's going to be with deadly force. Yeah, I want it to be like the Johnny Quest episode of Mystery, Inc. Where they just go in guns a Yeah. So not a good Yeti. Not a good restaurant. Not a good episode. It ends with sexy music for some reason. I don't know why it ends with that sexy music. I guess they're, like... Really stupid. There was a black man in the episode, but that's no reason to play Barry White. Uh, I also had a note here, because we didn't mention it earlier. There's a scene where they first hear about the Yeti attacks, and they poke their heads outside to see that it's a beautiful summer's day. 
the lighting in that scene is so crisp and so good. It just sends me to a summer's day. So crisp. So crisp. (laughs) This crisp episode is perfect for me because of that shot. No, uh, I can't say that. He ruins good cheesecake. Yeah, that's an offense for me. Am I going to be so offended by this, though? It might just be a Scooby maybe. Because I, I think what picks it up for me again is just Shaggy in these smart shirts. I like seeing him put together a little bit more. Th- this is a Shaggy who fucks. There's never been a Shaggy that fucks. <laughs> and there never will be. And there never will be. This is a Scooby don't for me from the goodwill of last episode right into this one. This one is very tedious. The stomach growling jokes are stupid. The Yeti's stupid. Yeah, I, I will the say... The sexy music is stupid. The turndown on the Yeti is very disappointing, because as this episode started, the Yeti was actually scaring me, and I'm... Okay, not really scaring me. I'm, I'm a grown adult man. But it had scary vibes, and I'm like, oh shit! So we're actually going into a little horror territory this week, and I wish it had followed through. The ghost in the hallway agrees. Listeners... Uh, love to know your thoughts on this episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, we can both be found on Twitter. I am at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Dues. You can find all our old episodes streaming on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube page. I have my own personal YouTube page under Fatal Amelia. We have a Patreon page. And we both have Instagrams with pictures of our cat, I'm Fatal Amelia. Billy is Billy Sequire. That's right. The famous cat who you may have heard licking himself all throughout this episode. Really snarfling his own asshole Just tonight. fantastic audio there, buddy. <laughs> and on that note... That's it from Scooby-Dooby-Us. To Scooby-Dooby-Us! Uh, next episode is me, myself, and AI. Oh, please, Lord, let it not involve any Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) Maybe it's about that uh, Jim Carrey movie, Me, Myself, and Irene. You ever see that? Yes, because I was alive in the 90s. Oh, God, I was going to say nobody did. I feel like everyone saw every Jim Carrey movie in the 90s. I saw The Mask. That was a good one.